travels the world and scans the web to keep you up to date on the latest threats to the internet and to your cybersecurity. He brings you the latest on the fight against cyber terrorism, keeping you safe with the best cybersecurity information on the radio. It's Cybersecurity Today with John Bambinet. Good morning and welcome to Cybersecurity Today Radio with your host, John Bambanak, broadcasting out of AM820 News covering Tampa Bay and the West Coast, as well as AN1060 News covering Orlando and the Space Coast. Have a great lineup for you today. As always, if you'd like to connect with us online, you can visit our website at cybersecuritytodayradio.com. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter at CyberSec Radio, my personal Twitter account at Bambanek, B-A-M-B-E-N-E-K, and via email, Radio at gmail.com, J-O-H-N-B-A-M-B-E-N-E-K, radio at gmail.com. Would love to hear about uh, what you're seeing out there, any interesting scams or phishing emails that may be uh, directed at you or your family, uh, any questions you'd like to have us addressed on the air feel free to get in touch. And of course, if you want to get the podcast version of the show, uh, whatever uh, podcasting software you use, just take a search for Cybersecurity Today Radio and we'll uh, come right up uh, and we'll show right up in that search. So this week, uh, I spent in uh, Germany, mostly in Poland, uh, again, part of uh, talking to other countries and uh, their governments and uh, computer emergency response teams to talk about the threats their countries are facing. Uh, and some interesting things uh, that have been written about, we get towards the end of the year and people start creating prediction pieces of what the internet and cybersecurity is going to look like next year. What are the big threats? I know I've had a couple of people ask me what I think the next big threat uh, is going to be for the coming year. So uh, one article uh, at techspective.net uh, talks about this. What are the five big things they see? Uh, and certainly, you know, because it's involved in a lot of what I do and some uh, disputes uh, that are going on between the United States and other nations about the nature of the Internet and Internet governance, uh, this one perspective or this one prediction, right, privacy may be gone but not forgotten. Uh, is it even reversible? And, and certainly there's... Uh, a degree of conflict between privacy and security. Uh, I think they can coexist in a lot of ways. Uh, and we'll talk about cryptography for an, uh, an example. But certainly we've talked about ways to protect your own privacy online using a VPN, avoiding connecting to free wireless access points and hotels and coffee shops and airports where your traffic may be snooped. Uh, so there are some things that you can do. But all of these free services we've come to rely on, Facebook and Twitter and Gmail, you name it, the reason that it is free is because it is mining your personal information to make it possible for advertisers to uh, have targeted uh, marketing messages displayed to you. You know, And you might notice this yourself. You Google for... Um, I don't know, it's coming on Christmas, whatever the latest Christmas toy is, uh, for this upcoming season for kids. You can Google that, and then you're going to start seeing advertisements for that or competing products. So certainly there is a lot of privacy implications of what we do online every day and how we interact, and all of that information is available. You know, anything you publish on Twitter and Facebook can exist for long periods after you have forgotten about it. Maybe you have deleted it. 
So certainly great deals of information we produce about ourselves, but also gets produced just upon our uh, daily lives going about uh, what we're doing. So uh, is the notion of privacy really gone? Well, it's, it's not gone. It never was gone. The Faustian bargain that we have to deal with as a society is that if you choose to use Facebook, the deal of getting that free service is that it's going to look at the websites you visit, who you interact with, what you're talking about, what your friends are talking about to create advertising profiles uh, for you and on you so that people can advertise to you. If you don't like that, the solution is to not use Facebook or Twitter or these free services. So uh, many people will choose convenience and free over private and secure. Uh, and companies know this. And this information has valuable. Uh, this information has value about what your preferences are, what you're talking about. Uh, and certainly there's lots of concern out there that these algorithms will often get things wrong in terms of preferences. I know I've taken a look at Facebook ads that, uh, you know, have been targeted to me. I click on the little arrow thing. Why am I getting this? It says, oh, well, you like this. And I'm like, wow, that's bizarre because I really, really don't. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Cybersecurity Today Radio with your host, John Bambanek. So, yeah, right, there's a notion of privacy's not gone. No, it just takes time, effort, and energy uh, for people to realize what people are doing with their information, how to protect themselves, and it may involve not choosing uh, to use some of those services that we're uh, accustomed to interacting with every day. So a couple of other uh, cybersecurity predictions. Uh, we hear a lot about blockchain, uh, that it's an important cybersecurity uh, thing. Most everything you hear about blockchain is hype. But blockchain is the uh, technology that underpins Bitcoin. I know we've talked about on the show a digital cryptocurrency where people can exchange uh, Bitcoins for money, for products, services, whatever. Uh, it's often used in ransomware and criminal transactions, but there are legitimate uses for Bitcoin also. Uh, since this kind of development, uh, a lot of people said, oh, blockchain, this underpinning technology will be uh, the next big thing. I find it almost all to be universally hype. Uh, so I, I would certainly, you know, if you hear people saying, oh, you should invest in this, I'd, I'd be wary of that personally. Uh, there's a lot of limitations to it. Uh, and it's, it's, it's very useful for creating a system like Bitcoin. Uh, I don't see many other uses for it. Uh, I think we talked about uh, on the show a couple months back, the state of Illinois uh, wanting to study blockchain as a way of registering births and birth certificates. And uh, that's kind of uh, frightening and has some certain uh, implications that I don't think are very good for doing that. So certainly, you know, uh, pay attention to it. It's very relevant. I know I've used blockchain technology and Bitcoin particularly. I created a, a tracking system called at Neo Nazi Wallets on Twitter to track the various uh, extreme uh, uh, extreme white supremacists online and where they're spending their money. Uh, a lot of people have done very interesting things with it, but uh, I'm not sure it has much application out out there in the real world. Another thing uh, this article talks about is governments and encryption uh, coming head to head. I know in uh, the United Kingdom and Australia and several other countries, there is the government mandating that if uh, if you provide a service that has encryption, they need a way to get the information uh, via legal process. 
this has come up time and time again here in the United States, too. After the San Bernardino shooting uh, a couple years ago, uh, one of the suspects had an iPhone. The FBI, for obvious reasons, wanted to get into it, had a legal process. Obviously, there's a crime that took place. They went to Apple, tried to get a court order to force Apple to create a backdoor so that they can do it. And every now and then uh, you hear members of law enforcement or the intelligence community say, hey, you know what? We need to have a backdoor for encryption so that they can get into this information. And certainly, why does somebody is an investigator who looks at some of the same cases that we're talking about here is the need of being able to get that evidence and intelligence to figure out uh, who else is involved with the crime, how to protect people in society. Uh, the problem with it is, is that once you open this Pandora's box, there's no telling who else uh, could walk through it. So, for instance, if you go to Apple and Google uh, Google's Androids and say, we need a backdoor so I can get into somebody's text messages uh, over the Internet or with a cell phone provider, that same backdoor could be used by Russia, China, any other country in the world, uh, as long as they're accessible by their court systems. And most of these are big global companies, right? The same is true for Facebook. The same kind of backdoor that could be used by the United States to get into a terrorist's Facebook profile is the same kind of backdoor that can be used to get into a democracy activist's uh, profile in uh, the People's Republic of China or somebody who's even outside in Hong Kong or other places. So we're going to take a short break, uh, hop right into our interview with Cyberscoop.com. So stay tuned. You're listening to Cybersecurity Today Radio with your host, John Bambanak, and we will be right back. This is Cybersecurity Today with John Bambanak. Listening to John Bambanek, the most trusted name in cybersecurity. And welcome back. You've tuned into Cybersecurity Today Radio with your host, John Bambanek. Joining me now is Greg Otto from Cyberscoop.com, our digital partner. Welcome back to the show, Greg. Thank you very much for having me, John. So, uh, and thanks for being on. I know you've had a busy week. Uh, you guys had uh, Cyber Week in D.C., a big event with uh, you know, four or five dozen uh, speakers and panels talking about cybersecurity policy, a, a lot of things going on in the Beltway area. Uh, you know, what have you heard? What were kind of the big, uh, big items that you discussed about uh, cybersecurity from uh, that event? We had uh, over 1,500 people at our opening party on mm -hmm. Wednesday night, and they all have fanned out and gone to a bunch of different events that we're covering. You know, a lot of the topics that we cover when, you know, we speak on this show, whether it is cybersecurity policy, uh, vulnerability research, uh, research that goes into the financial sector or autonomous cars, mm -hmm. uh, everything that goes on with nation states and cyber espionage and how that is uh, evolving. Um, we've just been hearing some great, great conversations and some great, great feedback. And then Wednesday, we had Cyber Talks, which mm -hmm. was our own event where we had a, a great lineup of speakers. And some of the great stuff that uh, really came out of it was 
the FBI was really forthcoming in talking about how they approach security assistant attorney general uh, Dana um, Benty was there talking about everything that he's been working on. Uh, we had the FBI recruitment strategy talked mm-hmm. about and about how that the FBI, uh, their long-term strategy is really to reach into high schools and foster STEM education and it, how it's, you know, it's still a challenge for them, but they are working on pilot programs in which they encourage the study and development of STEM programs and it gives them pipelines where they can fill uh, vacancies in field offices. Mm-hmm. No, and I know they have a, a huge amount of vacancies, uh, right? And, and the federal government writ large, right? And there's some issues with it. Uh, you know, I know last year, I think there was discussion of, hey, you know, if they'd relax on their uh, – uh, restrictions on former marijuana use, uh, you know, that tends to, uh, I don't know if it's more common in the tech industry than others, but it's a thing, right? And in the FBI, you need security clearance. So uh, that can be a problem uh, for people. But but certainly, uh, you know, I know with my interactions, right, there's, there's more work I can give them and more cases I can give them that they could ever, ever clear. Uh, so, uh, certainly, um, you know, we're not going to make a big dent in, in criminal activity until we have more people, uh, putting them, uh, in prison. Right. Right. And on top of the workforce stuff, the FBI was also talking about how, uh, there was a lot of talk about this bill that was introduced last week, the active cyber defense Mm -hmm. certainty act, which has been talked about as the first sort of hack back bill that could possibly become law. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't necessarily know that that calling it a hackback bill, I wouldn't necessarily call it that. I think that it just grants companies the ability to let the FBI know that they are going to monitor monitor actors that they think have uh, breached their systems. But um, the FBI and the DOJ they talked about that, considering that that law would be, you know, a huge amendment to the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act. Mm-hmm. And um, it would just give the FBI more enforcement oversight uh, when it comes to breach investigations, which I know and I'm sure that, you know, you were just saying that, you know, the FBI has more cases than they can clear. It would give them, you know, another leg up on helping companies that are breached to figure out you know, what they can, they can do moving forward. Right. And, and it put it in general terms, right? Hack back and, and active measures uh, in this context is, Hey, if companies are uh, breached, uh, you know, they have some ability to go after criminal infrastructure to delete their documents or, or whatever. In this case, it was a, a little bit more measured than, Hey, I'm going to go burn all your servers to the ground. But uh, I know certainly in, in my community, it's set a lot of debate because uh, a lot of my fellow practitioners hate the concept of hack back, um, you know, because they think it'll lead to a wild west where, you know, I'm somewhat more of, uh, of a moderate in that issue, I guess, where, I mean, this happens today. I mean, there are companies out there that act as digital mercenaries to uh, like steal back stolen credit card data or stealing encryption keys for ransomware so people can decrypt their files for free instead of having to pay. Um, you know, there's very uh, successful examples of that. And then, you know, there's the counter example or counter uh, claim that people make, oh, this will lead to idiots who engage in uh, gross uh, collateral damage and you know, a lot of FUD generation. So I know it's it sparked a lot of debate uh, just among security professionals, or I guess I'm more the outlier, like, yeah, okay, if I can't put these guys in jail, 
why should I play by the rules? It's, you know, uh, at, at a certain point, if there's no consequences, then, you know, the criminals always win. Right. And we talked about that during Cyber Talks. I actually had a panel with uh, Leonard Bailey, the special counsel for computer crime for the DOJ, uh, and uh, Kate, two uh, bug bounty company uh, leaders, Kate Ellis, CEO of Bug Crowd, and Martin Mikos, the CEO of Hacker One. And I kind of asked them what they thought about this hackback law because it's it's interesting because it kind of goes it, it kind of goes hand in hand with you know what their companies tried to do. And Martin was really candid in saying that you know look I we, I think this law is good and the reason that we have these laws is not to necessarily open ourselves up for abuse. I mean, this is pretty measured, was his opinion of it. And I asked him, you know, well, isn't there sort of like a mission create there almost where it's going to get to the point where companies ow, are just, you know, like you said, being the Wild West and going out and, and hacking on their own. And he tended to say, you know, look, it, it's not going to get to that because of the laws that we have in place here in D.C. If it ever got to that you would probably see a, a flood of bills come in to say, okay, this this is not the way this is going to work. Uh, the, the internet can't work like this, and we're we're going to have to rely on law enforcement more than you having you know offensive hackers on your team to go out and get your data back and cause damage in in your own right. So I kind of get his point mm-hmm. in that this is good and that it's measured, but look, y- you you and I see what goes on on the internet. Every day, I still think it's the Wild West a little bit. So oh, yeah. it'll be interesting to see how this law involves. Yeah, I always said, I tell people, I mean, it happens today, right? If you want to curtail it, you want a law specifying the rules of the road and say, you know, here's here's the limits, here's the considerations. And I mean, the reality is most enterprises, large companies with assets that can be accessed by the U.S. criminal court system, you know, are not going to cause billion dollars worth of damage or they're going to not going to tolerate their people doing it. Right. You know, we've all worked for companies who lawyers say you can't do that because we'll get sued. Um, you know, so there's a lot of, uh, you know, incentives, right, to, to be measured in what you do. And as I said, I measured a couple examples. I mean, I know uh, there are credit card companies out there that uh, hire people to basically steal the information back from the criminals so that they can protect their customers or protect themselves against fraud losses. All right, we're going to take a short break. We'll be right back after this. You're listening to Cybersecurity Today Radio with your host, John Bambanek. You're listening to John Bambanek, the most trusted name in cybersecurity. Back with Bambanek on cybersecurity. And welcome back. You're listening to Cybersecurity Today Radio with your host, John Bambanek. So great segment there from our digital our digital partner, cyberscoop.com, on some of the news that they've uh, been covering here in the last week. Uh, move on to uh, a little bit more of, uh, you know, how you can protect yourselves, your security and privacy online, specifically that, how to protect your children 
Uh, I know in the first segment we talked a lot about privacy. Uh, does privacy going away uh, and some future things? I know when I think about future threats and privacy, I have five children, so I think, um, you know, what, you know, should I be doing uh, to protect themselves, to keep themselves safe? Uh, and figured, you know, spend a few minutes talking about that here on the show uh, so, you have, uh, so you have the information you need to protect your kids. When thinking about cybersecurity for children, right, there's there's about three threats that it really comes down to strangers, friends uh, and themselves uh, and maybe acquaintances or people they know would be better than friends here. Right. So uh, strangers, you know, we know a lot about that's the really scary stuff of people who are uh, predators uh, trying to uh, lure children you know, what have you. Uh, so use your imagination on what that means. Uh, they're the scariest thing to work to prevent, right? But police actively targets those kind of threats. There was a big roundup of people involved of uh, childhood exploitation uh, in the area, around 80-some-odd people, uh, if I recall, recently, because law enforcement spends a lot of time focusing on that. Doesn't mean... Uh, you shouldn't have talks to your kids or do things to protect themselves, but at least for that class of threat, um, you know, you can rest assured that the police are doing something about that. So uh, things to be aware of and, and, and teach your kids that when somebody says they're ex on the Internet, it doesn't necessarily mean that they are. And what I mean by that is I can create a Facebook account in anybody who's listening to this program in their name. I can download their Facebook profile picture from their existing Facebook profile picture. And then very superficially, it would look like I am you on the Internet. Uh, that is true in the real world also. Uh, there are also criminals who go after children knowing that their parents, uh, if they let their kids have a laptop, their parents probably have some money, might have a credit card. They're targeting that laptop as a means to get to you. So at least it, your children are not necessarily the direct target. They're just a means to get to you. So uh, be aware of that. There's a lot of uh, games out there and things that are just trying to lure kids to install them uh, so that they can compromise ultimately you. Uh, so be wary of uh, what they install and tell them how to spot some dangerous applications, particularly on mobile devices. So uh, anytime, particularly with Android, you want to install a mobile application, it'll ask you, hey, do you want to give it all these permissions? You know, tell the kids to look at it, look at that list and says, hey, you know, if you're playing a game, does it really need to see all the pictures in your photo library or your text messages, things of that sort, you know, and teach them to take a moment to examine what exactly it is their device is asking them to do or what permissions the application wants because there's usually enough information there to make a judgment of whether something's safe or not safe. So certainly empowering them that with that information, having them take a look, uh, and certainly it helps them develop some critical thinking uh, along the way also. Moving to the the threats of friends or uh, acquaintances, right? This is where cyberbullying comes in, uh, where potentially bad examples and other uh, peer pressure might come into play. Uh, but certainly cyberbullying has gotten a lot of attention uh, in recent years uh, where people just harass and badger somebody until eventually there's a, a, a tragic outcome. Uh, here really it's uh, about being familiar with who your kids are talking to online, 
looking for changes in behavior, being open with them and saying, hey, you know, uh, you know, you were on Facebook for the last hour and now you're really in a bad mood or very reserved or hidden. Um, you know, if they're getting a lot of harassing emails, teach them how to ignore it or block people uh, so that they don't have to be overwhelmed and exposed by this kind of stuff. Uh, and certainly, right, if it gets out of hand to uh, find you uh, and almost all of these uh, services, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, whatever, have means to report abuse. Uh, eventually, those providers will take some kind of action, usually a blocking accounts so that can help but obviously if there's a personal relationship there then it really becomes hard to, to really fully get away so this is where it really uh, having a relationship of openness with your child to say hey uh, what's going on in your life you know so that if you have to intervene talk to the school talk to church or family or clubs or whatever uh, to start dressing uh, these kind of issues you're in a place to do so but often in these cases, law enforcement and the police can't help because, um, you know, the laws aren't really there, uh, except in some extreme set of cases to really prosecute somebody. You know, the most the police could do is says, hey, uh, you should stop that. Uh, and there's not necessarily a lot of resources to to address it. Uh, so that's puts it on you as the parent uh, to protect your children. Be aware of what's going on. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Cybersecurity Today Radio with your host, John Bambanek. The last threat, right, is the threat of themselves uh, and things that they could do online that would come to uh, harm them later. Uh, I know, like I said earlier in the show, we talked about privacy. If you post something to Twitter uh, and you leave it there, right, you may have been 12 at the time. You're using the same Twitter account when you're 25. People go back and say, hey, look at something obnoxious that you said. Uh, so uh, there is really a lot of temptation to engage in, in bad behavior, believing that you're anonymous online. And, and really you're not. Um, you know, unless you take really great steps to protect your anonymity, and that's usually not kids. So they could be, you know, maybe they're uh, swearing on Twitter or posting inappropriate content, or maybe even they're bullying, uh, and you would see things online that could come back to haunt them. You know, this is telling your kids, hey, you need to be careful with what you say online. Uh, would you even send out an email, um, you know, email can live on forever i know uh, you know there are people who have email saved for over a decade so uh, making sure kids understand you know you're creating records here and some of this stuff uh, it might not be the kind of thing uh, th that reflects well on you after the uh, after the fact even if it's well into the future so certainly uh, be mindful of that uh, and part of that comes uh, some other risks, right? Spending too much time online, particularly with games, uh, instead of focusing on the work they need to do, getting outside, playing with friends, uh, you know, learning uh, and, and proceeding with their own development. And certainly that's on you to create those kind of limits. Uh, but those mediums also prevent uh, or, or cause some other vectors for harassment and other inappropriate things. So uh, there's monitoring and filtering solutions, but it's really hard to protect against, say, in-game harassment. So again, right, have that open relationship with your kids. What 
and the last thing I want to talk about it can often uh, come into play with children is uh, downloading copyrighted material or free movies or music or, or things over BitTorrent and the like. Uh, kids, um, you know, often you know want to get the latest game, the latest movie, whatever. They downloaded uh, this stuff online or it's copywritten, and you know eventually it gets discovered can come back to your computer whatever uh and you could get a digital millennium copyright act dmca complaint things of that sorts which is which is not good right teaching kids that not only is that not uh that's a form of stealing uh, but often a lot of these things uh can come with malware and trojans where yeah you're gonna see the latest i don't know avengers movie or whatever but it may come with malware that installs itself on it on your computer uh because they know people downloading that stuff may or may not be checking for malicious activity so uh certainly right talk to your kids have them be aware of these threats listen uh, to what they've got going on in their lives and monitor for changes in attitude and behavior uh, to really intervene, in, in particularly in cyberbullying and those kind of cases, because that's really, you're in the best position to do that. You are listening to Cybersecurity Today Radio with your host, John Bambanek. We will be right back. John Bambanek, on the radio and on the lookout for the latest cyber threats. This is Cybersecurity Today with John Bambanek. Welcome back. You've tuned in to Cybersecurity Today Radio with your host, John Bambanek. Last segment, we talked a little bit about cybersecurity for your kids, things that you should be keeping in mind. It's a great resource out there. I did want to point you to uh, securing the Human, uh, which is a security awareness project by an organization called SANS, which does a lot of cybersecurity training. It's You can find it at securingthehuman.sans.org. Uh, for this uh, uh, portion of it, right, cybersecurity for kids, uh, they have the resources you see securing your kids, or just go to securingthehuman.sans.org slash resources slash kids. A lot of good information out there, including uh, a, a, a webinar, a little web video uh, that you can show your kids. It's geared to kindergarten through fifth grade students uh, so that you can, uh, you know, have them take a look at it, discuss with them after the fact of ways to keep them safe online. So uh, some resources there to think about. Uh, segueing into uh, the last article uh, that uh, you know I want to discuss before the end of our show uh, at from slate.com uh, is an interesting article saying uh, the subject was the future of cybersecurity might look a lot like Snapchat. For those of you who are not familiar with uh, Snapchat, basically it allows you to send a video message uh, or picture that uh, to another recipient and then it is deleted uh, sometimes in just seconds after uh, it's viewed so it's a way of sending information to to somebody a picture a video uh, that gets deleted in five seconds or ten seconds uh, after it's sent uh, so that it can't be recovered later all right and you think of a lot of reasons uh, reason for, for this but I think when I think about all of the privacy risks of technology is that 
now most of our casual conversations are an email or a text message or a Facebook message on Medium that will preserve the message for perpetuity, right? Until it's deleted and most people don't delete things anymore because uh, storage is so cheap. So uh, that's kind of caused some real risks of being able to recover data well after the fact. Uh, even things that might be otherwise innocuous or things that would compromise privacy. Snapchat gets around this by saying, hey, I'm going to send a, a video of me being ridiculous and it's deleted in a few seconds. So uh, the segue of t the physical world is, you know, there are people who often, you know, chat around the water cooler or whatever, uh, maybe joking around. But once if you're not in the room, right, you never are able to hear what they say. Even if you're in the room, you're not able to take a record unless, you know, recording the conversation or, or whatever. Uh, so this kind of applies that same dynamic. Most people think casual conversations around the water cooler, right? That's not going to end up on Twitter or the Internet, uh, you know, and, but casual conversations on email, right, exist in, in perpetuity. So Snapchat gets around that by, like I said, deleting those messages after a few seconds. So there's a thought of, hey, you know, maybe we should invest more in this kind of thought of how we can create messages that will self-delete or programs that will self-delete. So as an example, I know we talked about uh, on this program, uh, there was a British gaming company uh, that had a lot of online games. Their database got breached. Uh, they'd stopped taking credit cards in 2009, but their database had a bunch of credit card information because they kept it forever. Um, so again, this problem of just keeping information that was legitimately held. There's there no reason uh, that they couldn't have had that information, uh, but their database got breached long after its useful life. You can apply the same kind of thing to an Equifax scenario that I know uh, many of you listening here are affected by that in one way or the other. They've, they said 145 million people have been affected. I'm telling everyone just to assume that you're one of them, you know, that this entire system exists for people to do analyses on uh, potential borrowers. You apply for a credit card or a mortgage or a car loan, you know, are you likely to pay your bills or not, right? So... The reality is, is that we only interact with Equifax or those systems, most people, a couple times a year, maybe. Um, uh, you know, I recently bought uh, a new house, so I had to go through the, the mortgage application process. Prior to that, I can't think of the last time there was uh, any reasonable reason to have a credit check on me. Uh, you know, I, I don't churn a lot of credit cards. Uh, I don't keep applying for them. Uh, and for the time being, we've had, my wife and I have had cars for a good long time. We just don't interact with that system. So it kind of begs the question of, hey, do all of that data and analysis needs to persist for 10, 20 years when I'm not really interacting with the system? So something like Snapchat could say, hey, it's beyond its useful life. Decision made. We're moving on. Delete the data. That way it can't be stolen later, right? And to segue that into another example, right, that we started this show with uh, back in January, namely uh, all the uh, hacking related to the last election cycle. As you know, the DNC got hacked, the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee got hacked, John Podesta's emails got hacked, and in all of those cases, emails... Uh, 
Certainly there were current emails, but a lot of emails going back many years were compromised in that breach as well. So hackers were able to not only download that and then publish it online, some of those were various degrees of scandalous or damaging. Uh, so if those messages were auto-destructed, you know, deleted after the fact like Snapchat, right, then they cannot be compromised. I know in uh, corporate settings, uh, one of my typical high-level pieces of advice that I give to major companies is never store data that you don't have to. Never store data longer than you have to. So if you only need to keep something for six months, delete it after six months. If you've never had to stay, store it and save it in the first place, don't because it's just another place for information to get stolen. Uh, and it helps in convincing people that there's a cost associated with this. Why spend money if there's no return on your investment? So similar thing here, right, of making this easy and making the technology secure by default by just deleting things, uh, hopefully securely, so that they can't be compromised later. So that's certainly an approach I think people are, are taking. I know with some of the secure text messaging programs like Wire and Signal and WhatsApp, uh, they have similar features where messages will be deleted after a certain period of time that you select. Uh, and certainly some of these things are people are using to talk to reporters and uh, be whistleblowers and the like to say, hey, here's some information, uh, but it's deleted so that if for whatever reason the phone or underlying device is compromised, then you don't have to worry about those messages being uh, retrieved. So uh, it'll be interesting. I know the start of the show we talked about the fight between uh, the government and people who want encryption, whether it should be a backdoor or not. Uh, I'll find it interesting how governments relate to uh, auto-deleting content because at a certain point, uh, even terrorists and people who are legitimate targets of intelligence agencies don't need to keep data for long periods of time, or at least not a lot of it, where things could be deleted automatically. How agencies will uh, react to that if they'll try to say no there needs to be a persistence mechanism or whatever so i think that'll be interesting uh, to take a look at but then i those are the kind of issues that i think we're going to be looking at uh, in the next year a couple of them anyway so look forward to seeing what the future holds and how um, that will impact our privacy and security going forward so certainly uh, any new developments and we'll bring it on here at the show so we're coming to the end of our show. Uh, hope you had a lot of great content talking about uh, some of the future cybersecurity tools, things we could look forward uh, to in the future, what you can do to protect your kids, your family, online, their security and privacy, and now, as I said, a potential security solution here in Snapchat. And, of course, always love having our digital partner, cyberscoop.com, come on and talk about what they've got going on uh, and hearing about uh, their conference uh, in the past week. So, uh, as always, thank you for tuning in. You're listening to AM820 News covering Tampa Bay and the West, AM820 News covering Tampa Bay and the East Coast, and AM1060 News covering Orlando and the Space Coast. Feel free to connect with us online, cybersecuritytodayradio.com. You can catch the podcast version of the show. Just search for Cybersecurity Today Radio. 
connect with us on Twitter at CybersecRadio or my personal Twitter account at Bambanek, B-A-M-B-E-N-E-K. Until next week, stay safe there online. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. You've been listening to Cybersecurity Today Radio with your host, John Bambanek, and hope to have you tune in next week for some more great cybersecurity news and tips to protect yourself and your family. Enjoy the rest of your Saturday. Saturday.